Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Asian Americans. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're staying healthy and hope you're staying happy. Today, my conversation is with Shanine Nuntabang, who is the executive director of government and veteran affairs at the American Legion. Amazing guy, has a storied career with the Marines and happy to share his story of being an Asian American growing up in Northern California, finding his way into the Marines and now serving the veterans um, in a different way uh, from where he sits at the American Legion. Another reminder to continue to support your locally owned businesses, um, order takeout from them, call them directly. Let's try not to use the apps and support all the essential workers, medical, retail, and beyond as we get through these challenging times together. I know it's hard. I know it's tough and challenging for all of us, but let's do our part. Let's stay inside and get through these challenging times as fast as we can. Here now is my conversation with Shanine. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. Uh, wherever you may be and whenever you may be listening to this, we genuinely hope that you are safe and healthy, um, that you are taking care of yourself. Uh, we are recording this uh, in the middle of April. So if you're listening to this when it was uploaded, you should be home. Uh, but if you are listening to this in the car on your way to work, that actually means you have a very important job uh, right now, whether it's in healthcare or an additional, um, a different essential line of work. We are ever so grateful uh, that you are working to make sure that we can get back to um, whatever normal is. Um, and I don't think we any of us know that. Um, and a large part of our community, our fellow citizens who work um, behind the scenes in lands far away and at home to make sure that we continue and that we have always lived the most normal type of life that we as Americans have the audacity to believe in are our brothers and sisters in the military. And for me personally, whenever I see a fellow Asian American uh, in uniform who is a soldier, it brings me in a, you know, just an extra ounce of joy that we do belong here, that we do have a place in all aspects. So uh, my guest today is not only a veteran, um, but now is working to uh, make sure that those veterans, um, their, their lives are, are well working with the government and other NPO and NGO organizations. It brings me great pleasure to introduce Shanine Nantavang to the show. Welcome. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me. So when I see your resume, at least on paper, it's two decades in the Marines, and I'm sure you've had many chances and, and you know, um, opportunities to leave um, as, as many do uh, throughout the military career, um, you, you've stuck through and, and now you have pivoted to an organization that really serves the veterans um, from a governmental and then uh, non-governmental organizational perspective. And I am very curious to learn how young Shanine uh, grew up with dreams and hopes and aspirations um, that ended you up here. So uh, share share with us a little bit on how the Nantavong family ended up in America. You know, how did your parents meet? Where did you grow up? And share with us a little bit about your early years. Yeah, so I grew up in the Bay Area, um, born and raised, well, born in San Francisco. So my parents immigrated here from Thailand or to the Bay Area. Uh, they didn't know each other. They met through some mutual friends. My mom was going through college. My dad was working. Um they, they met and fell in love uh, a couple years later, you know, I pop out as the, the first born, uh, 
of our family in the United States. So, uh, and so you grew up in a, what, what part of the Bay area did you grow up in? And was it as, as diverse as we know it today? Yeah. So I grew up in Pacifica, California. Okay. Um, my parents b- bought some property on there. Uh, I grew up down there and the area is, you know, it's mixed, right? A lot of Hispanics in that area, uh, and a lot of white folks in, in the area. So, and a, a topic that we often joke about, and it's not a joke cause it's true, but is this notion of expectation and career decision-making from our parents, um, and it's obviously that, you know, the, the holy trinity of Dr. Laurie Engineer. And then it's like, well, what are you doing with your life? And um, military has always been interesting to me because it's not on that menu, but it is always lauded as at least for some of the more um, seasoned or assimilated Asian American populations. It's a huge badge of honor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, countries like where I come from in Korea, it's, you know, mandatory that you go. So there's really not a lot of choice associated with you being a veteran. Everybody's a veteran. Um, other countries, you know, other smaller countries for obvious reasons of, of having a force um, have those policies. But in America, because it is an opt-in system, and particularly as you rise through the ranks um, and, and have officer titles, there certainly is an immense amount of pride and just honor and, and joy associated with that. Um, how did you choose the military? Why the Marines? And what was your family's reaction when you first told them about that? Yeah. So uh, let me give you a little little of my raising, right? Mm. So first generation, it's me and my, my younger sister um, going, you know, through the whole process of, of learning about American culture intertwined with my Thai heritage was difficult. Um, my parents were confused. They didn't know how to do it. So you know, going into school, my parents even, they, they changed my name, you know, on, on school documents, uh, they changed my name to Teddy and um, very American name. Uh, but they, they figured, you know, I barely knew how to pronounce my name because they, they called me a little nickname uh, mm. growing up. So they, they, they wanted to, to, I don't know, Americanize me, right? Mm. And make me fit in more. So you know, going into school, I was trying to adjust, adjust to um, American society and American way of living. So, you know, my mom would cook me these unique lunches um, and I would bring them to school and it just didn't fit into the the sandwiches, you know, the ham sandwiches mm. that folks were bringing in or, or the school lunch. So, um, mom, don't hate me for this, but I, I threw away my lunches or, or I would trade them away, right? Because I was embarrassed. I was in, I didn't want to stick out and I didn't want to be different. Uh, You're not the only one. Yeah. I think, you know, if if many of our peers or our brothers and sisters out there ever, I don't know, some of us will never admit to our parents uh, because we know that it comes from a place of love. Yeah. Um, Identity is extremely complicated, even as emotionally mature adults. Um, when you're growing up, you just want to be liked. Right. And kids are mean. And um, we, we see it significantly more, I guess, especially today with all that's going on. But um, different is weird. And weird is something that you can outwardly make fun of and get away with. Um, so I can only imagine, you know, what you must have gone through for you to come to the conclusion that, you know, the lunch that my mother packed me, um, nobody will see. 
and you go buy something at the cafeteria or, you know, um, it's, it's hard. Um, cause I think for, and you know, I hope our kids don't have to go through what we went through. Um, and not to say that we went through something as traumatic as our parents did, cause that's sure. not really, but you know, um, we, we live in a more diverse society, whether it's, um, you know, in DC or out here in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, that's all I can hope for. Um, which I guess it's a different topic as, as fellow parents, but you know, how do you raise them with a balanced ego and, and pride and association and, um, not feeling shame, um, the either way, um, maybe we need to have you back on the show at some point for that discussion. <laughs> um, so a- after those memories, um, take me through your, your adolescent, your teenage years. Yeah. So I always struggled, right? My parents wanted me to do well in school because school was the meter of success, right? Mm-hmm. School would help me get a, a good job and things like that. But I was so worried about just, like you said, fitting in and, and becoming uh, normal uh, that I was not very studious. I, I did horrible in school. I was too more too worried about extracurricular activities and and hanging out with my friends to, than, than to worry about school. So, you know, uh, I went to elementary school. There were a mix of kids. Um, moving into high school, we had two high schools in Pacifica at the time. And one was a mix of kids and one was a predominantly white school, you know, um, on the other side of town. So as I was entering high school, that... Uh, the mixed school closed down, right? For, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I don't recall what happened. And then I, I ended up in the predominantly white high school, um, which was, it was fine. It was normal for me. Um, but I, once again, I didn't fit in. Um, I hung around with um, some Asian folks my, my freshman year, but then they moved on to other schools and, and or mm-hmm. moved and whatever it may be. And I, I stayed behind. So um, I was always a small kid too, right? Asians aren't predominantly large folks. And uh, so I was always competing, trying to, to keep up with Americans. And uh, it was always a struggle. You said Americans uh, as if it was not you. Um, when did... I, I have had the same struggle. Um, and then it's just the way that our parents talked about things, right? But... Um, when did you be- feel you belonged to America? I think, as you precluded earlier, it's uh, when I joined the military. Uh, that's when the sense of belonging happened. And what was your reason or the spark of inspiration to join not just the military, but the Marines? Yeah, so that's a great question. My friend... Uh, when I was a sophomore or sophomore in high school, he joined the Navy and he did, he went off and left town and things were going good for him. I was like, wow, that's something that I may want to do. So one day after school, when I was a senior, um, maybe a junior, I was a junior in high school. I walked into the recruiter office after school, everything was closed, right? It was all dark. I walk in there looking for the Navy recruiter. I'm like, I'm a good swimmer. I I can do the Navy, right? Uh, Navy recruiter wasn't there. So I walk on my way out. The Marine recruiter pops out and he's like, hey, what are you doing here, young man? I was like, 
I don't know. I was going to join the Navy. He's like, well, why do you want to join the Navy? I was like, because I can swim well and I need to get out of this town. I need to get away from my parents and, and I need to do something on my own. And I think the Navy is going to do that for me. And he said, well, why, why don't you have a seat? You know, <laughs> he, he took me through his whole spiel. Um, and then, you know, he convinced me. I was like, fine, the Marine Corps is going to work. It's, it's the same as the Navy, you know, whatever. I didn't even know what a Marine was up until then, right? Uh, it's just not in my parents to, to, to educate me about right. America, right? That's what school is supposed to do is to educate right. me about America. So uh, the recruiter came over to, to see my mom and dad. My mom was sitting there crying. She's like, I don't want you to go to war. <laughs> you know, this is in 1995. So it was the tail end of the Gulf War. She's like, I don't want him to go to war. My recruiter's like, he won't go to war. We'll make him do administrative work. Those guys don't go to war, uh, which is not true. Um, our administ- Marine administrative folks also go to go to combat and, and serve alongside other folks, but it wasn't frontline work, right? It wasn't infantry right. or artillery or, or anything like that. So my mom signed me off uh, my junior year in high school, Wow. I knew that my senior year was going to go and all I had to do was maintain, you know, the minimum standard <laughs> of grades to, to get into the military. I graduated. I had to beg all my teachers the very last day the grades were going to come out to give me a plus so that I could get out of high school. I graduated with a 2.01 GPA. Barely made the cut. Barely made the cut. Well, but from there, you've had a, a plentiful and joyous, or I guess, at least on paper, it, it seems like a fun and wild ride. Um, I, I noticed that you served um, in the recruiting part of the Marines um, during 9-11 in the general New York area. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like for you? Yeah, so I, w- I did serve... Uh, I was in Long Island um, during 9-11, and it was, uh, it gives me chills to this day. Um, It was a a unique time. Uh, We were supporting a a mission, you know, to to get people to to join. And uh, when September 11th happened, all we wanted to do was go downtown to help the first responders Right. do whatever. And our commanding officer said, that's not our mission. Our mission is to recruit folks to join the military. We need you to stay behind back here and, and support. Uh, my wife, who I met in Long Island, oh. uh, was also in, in the Marine Corps, and, and she felt the same way. And, you know, we, we, we tried to get out there and, and we couldn't. So it was tough. But I tell you what, my experience in Long Island doing recruiting is one of the best opportunities I had um, to identify as an American. And this this may be a weird story, but I'd like to share it. It uh, my job was community relations, so my job was to get out in the local community and develop relationships with um, businesses, with other veteran service organizations. And these veterans, when I went out there and I talked to these old veterans, these World War II veterans, these Vietnam veterans, they didn't see me as Asian. 
They saw me as a Marine. They would tell me their stories about fighting in combat in Vietnam or in Japan. And it was, it was eye opening, right? I was like, do you, do you not see what I look like here? But they looked past that. And that's what I think the military does, right? We form a different bond. We don't look, I mean, there is racism in the military, but folks look beyond that. And they're like, you're a Marine, you're a brother to me. And we both signed our name or, or didn't at the time. And we served our country. So I, I hear that a lot from friends in the military that mm-hmm. while there is, you know, blatant ridiculing and joking and, you know, all, all sorts of name calling that you're not going to let that get in between you and then saving your brother's life, which is the mission at the end of the day, right? To keep everybody safe and bring them back home. Um, I think military friends are fascinating from that context of identity because unfortunately for us, uh, I guess, regular folks, not military folks, um, civilians, we don't have the uniform to protect our identity because it is really that badge or literally that uniform when you walk into a room, people see that and go, oh, okay, he's working or he's fighting for our country or protecting our country. Um, And and so I think that's fantastic. Um, And I thank you for your service. Um, And I look forward to the day that our children and all the other kids who don't choose that military path don't need a uniform for certain parts of our population uh, to see us as them, as they see themselves. Um, And, and so take us through, you worked in various parts that had to do with spreading the good news about the military or perhaps some stories of, of spin and damage control, mostly in the, the media space. Um, And so, and, and you've, you know, use that leverage or leverage that opportunity to travel the world and, and see things. And, you know, as, as a, um, a Marine officer of the United States Marines, um, I, I imagine you've been able to see some pretty cool things and experience some cool things. Um, share with us from the perspective that you've had growing up with your parents, being immigrants, um, and, and the childhood that you had. And now you have this honor or this responsibility of representing uh, not just the military, but it's the Marines. And you are the megaphone or the, the conduit in which the message gets conveyed. Um, how cool was that? So I, I think it's one of the best jobs in the military, right? Serving as a public relations media guy. Uh, early on in my career, I got to jump around to be a journalist, really, to share people's Mm. stories, right? And understand what folks are doing and share that with America. And what an honor that is, um, that I didn't have to spend all that time out in the field, you know, know, in the dirt with all those folks. But um, it's sharing their story, sharing the good things that they do. It was an amazing opportunity. Uh, I had the opportunity to deploy all over Southeast Asia, Thailand, Korea, Nepal, uh, been to Australia, uh, stationed in Japan, Okinawa, Japan for three years as well uh, with my family, which was an awesome opportunity for them. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I didn't like being in Japan, but my family liked being in Japan. <laughs> Tell me about your time in Thailand as a, a, a Thai, child of Thai immigrants. Yeah. Um, you, you look like the folks there, obviously, when I go back to Korea, it's the same thing, but they just know you're not from there and, and you're wearing, you know, the U.S. uniform. Um, tell me about that. Yeah, it was, uh, I was everybody's, you know, we go on Liberty, right? Whenever we're not working, we can go out into the town. I was everybody's favorite Liberty buddy, right? So <laughs> they wanted to take me everywhere and, and to translate for them. But um, my tie isn't as good as people think. <laughs> so I could get away with ordering food, um, you know, and some basic chit chat, but it was it was a great opportunity. Um, one time, my family got to fly over there uh, on vacation, so my wife and kids were there as well, and so we got to share some some R and R together. But um, there was one also one time where the military wanted me to translate for them, and I don't know how to say artillery in Thai or <laughs> machine guns or mortar or you know these words aren't in conversational Thai vocabulary. So uh, all in all, it was a great experience. What kept you in the military? Um, so early on, you re-enlist every, every three to four years. And I did spend 22 years in the Marine Corps. Uh, after my first four years, I was still in the high school mindset. People were still calling me Teddy. And, and I didn't have direction or sense of purpose. Um, still adjusting to be a lower enlisted guy in the military. You know, you're still cleaning. You're still doing mediocre tasks. I was going through a divorce and things weren't looking good for me. So I was like, well, the, the Marine Corps has always been good to me. Let me let me do this again. So I re-enlisted, decided to go into public affairs, and that's when everything changed. I loved what I was doing. I loved telling the story. I loved representing Marines uh, in the public, and I couldn't stop. I, they, had to, they had to force me out after 22 years. <laughs> um, when we think about tradition, again, as from the perspective of the civilian who who watches the TV ads and, and a lot of the the media that comes out and, and obviously the, the pieces that come out, um, the image that we often get of the Marine is the, the tall, uh, very fit white dude. And it is this white knight concept of we are here to save and protect the world. Um, you are not that. And there are many, many others who are who have given their lives and who are willing to give their lives to protect my freedom and my rights. Whenever you are in a diverse organization, to see somebody that looks like you next to you, cool. In front of you at the top of the, at the microphone, even cooler. Um, who did you have to look up to from that mentorship perspective of somebody that you looked up to when you were a junior member? And when you got to those ranks where people looked up to you, did you have some, any side conversations where, you know, members of the Marine Corps would walk up to you and just give you that, you know, that silent nod as, as we know about, or that, you know, that look. Yeah. I had a uh, early on when I was younger, I didn't have that person to look up to, right. It was survival of the fittest for, for better lack of, I just worked hard. 
Mm. And I, I did my best to, to do my job. Um, but around the middle of my career, around the, the eight to 10 year mark, uh, a friend of mine, his name is Danny Chung. Uh, he is, you know, Korean. And he, he wrapped my, his arms around me and he's like, look, brother, you can do amazing things. And he was really one of those people that helped mentor me through things. And ever since then, I picked up different mentors of different races, you know, all, all throughout the years. And I, I love to call them friends to this day because they're the ones who help nurture and help me get to where I am now. Yeah. I, you know, it's to, to the folks who are listening, um, you know, uh, I did not know Shanine before this, um, he found us on Instagram and um, just submitted, and and so you know I, I got this uh, form that that we ha- ask our you know potential guests to fill out, and and so I'm I'm reading this bio and I'm just this is crazy, because um, the Marines today from a diversity perspective very different from what it was in 1995, um, just the country was a different place you know 25 years ago, um, so. You know, we're we're talking about somebody who just went through and, and like you said, you you put your head down, you worked hard, everything is earned in the military, and it is a meritocracy. And not everybody, you don't just get promoted for sticking around. You have to earn every single badge on your uniform. And and so, with all that context, it was so cool um, to to not only see you um, go, you know, reading through your list of accomplishments and then posts and promotions within the military. Um, but what you're doing now with the American Legion, which is your, your post-military career, um, but still dedicated to serving the veterans and, and then the soldiers of this world. Um, share with us a little bit about the transition out of the Marines to the Legion, um, but, and then give the, uh, give the audience a bit of context on what the Legion is and what it's meant to do. Yeah, so transition post-military is, is tough. Uh, you're used to... I don't want to say this, but, you know, things are provided to you as long as you work hard, right? Medical, dental, uh, your steady paycheck. As, as long as you are doing the right things in the military, you will get those things. Uh, and my wife had told me she homeschools our, our boys. We have two yeah. teenage boys and she homeschools, um, which is great right now because everybody's homeschooling, <laughs> right? Uh, she looked at me and she's like, I just need you to find a job where we can still sustain the same quality of life that we've lived in the military, out of the military. So um, I was in California at the time, stationed at Camp Pendleton, trying to find a job. And I have 22 years of experience, but people wouldn't look past Mm -hmm. the fact that they wanted me to start at entry-level positions. Wow. And I couldn't do that. Uh, for my family, right? I had to provide. Uh, I wasn't willing to to work up the corporate ladder that way uh, from the very beginning. So I called a buddy of mine, or he called me, I don't recall what. He was working at the American Legion. And he's like, you know what, Shannon, you can continue to to do good for, for the Marines and for our brothers and sisters to our left and right. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, come work for me at the American Legion. Hmm. So he uh, asked me to apply for a job doing media relations. 
obviously I had the skill set. So he, he brought me over. I had to fly back to DC, uh, relocate my family from, from our home in, in California to uh, DC. I had previously spent seven years here, I think, uh, working at the Pentagon. So familiar with the area. And I started working for this amazing organization. Uh, the American Legion has 2 million dues-paying members, and we're the largest veterans or service organization. What we do is we lobby and for veterans' benefits on Capitol Hill. That's what we do here in D.C. So education, employment, health care, benefits, all of that is what we do out of the D.C. office. And um, I found my second calling. Um, You've spoken on Capitol Hill, representing veterans, fighting for veterans' rights. Um, I, I guess, regardless of what part of the political spectrum you, you sit on, um, taking care of the veterans, not just in a financial way, but just in a human way, um, because that was that was the promise that was supposed to be the deal. Correct. And we as a country oftentimes, I think, uh, can do better, should do better, um, particularly, you know, it uh, presents itself in, in a more pressing manner as we're going through challenging times like this, where uh, there seem, you know, obviously for, for the work that they've done and, and the experiences that they've gone through, um, they are a bit more vulnerable from a healthcare perspective and um, is, is uh, probably at more risk. Um, but you've had those cool experiences. Uh, I, I've seen those pictures and it just makes me smile um, because it's, it's a guy that looks like me with a name that most people on the other side of the room probably can't pronounce. And um, probably they don't even know where you're from. And, and but um, I'm going to take get back a little to your, your parents, uh, because when you joined the Marines, you said when the recruiter came over to your home. Your mother was crying. You're a junior. They had to literally sign you away. <laughs> and and um, how do they feel about that decision now? And and when did they uh, accept that that was your calling and that they were proud of you? Yeah, I think uh, my parents once they saw what I was doing in the military that's when they realize, wow, my, my son is making a difference and he's doing our, our last name proud, right? We, we wear two, two names on our uniforms, right? We wear the branch of service on one side and we wear our family name on the other side. And I went in every day knowing I, I want to make this side proud, just as proud as this side. Mm -hmm. And um, my parents were always proud of my military service. They were proud. My, my, Mom was a cocktail waitress for, for many, many years, and my dad was a bartender So they in the restaurant business. So they would um, always tell their, their clients, you know, about their son who was a military or if they met other military folks, especially Marines, they'd get a free drink, you know. <laughs> uh, they, they love doting over their, their, their son who, who served in the Marine Corps. So That's beautiful, man. Um, you know, I... We, we throw around the term American dream liberally um, as if it's supposed to be in this one singular vision. Um, but America 
has infinite descriptions or definitions depending on whose vision it is. And the dream, similarly so, it is a vastly open-ended question of what does that mean for you? Um, man, I, I am so excited to have met you. And I think it's your, your story needs to be told more because if I read without knowing what your name was, your resume, and it is a bias that happens in the universe, we don't expect to see somebody with the last name Nantavong, whose parents are from Thailand, leading that organization and having the decorated military career. Um, and so perhaps many, many more than who have come up to you, many, many more who have written to you and, and uh, shared with you directly the inspiration and the motivation that you have given them uh, to feel like they belong. Um, right now in America, sometimes it's not fun to be Asian, uh, depending, and I guess regardless of what part of the country you're in, because we see it everywhere, unfortunately. Uh, but just this, you know, um, it's not new. It's always been there. Just yeah. we see more of it. Um, or more, more of it is happening and we see more of it, both sides. Um, but I think it is more important than ever, um, particularly as we take guidance or at least words that are supposed to be guidance from a federal government whose members don't look like me and you, um, but we're supposed to. And that's a government is supposed to be representative of its people, not just from a race and color perspective, but from a mindset and a heart perspective to do right by the people who actually pay their salaries, right? I don't know if any of the people who give these amazing daily press briefings realize, bro, I pay your salary. Maybe, you know, effectively it's zero when it comes down to my share, but that revenue comes from all of us. And, and so uh, as somebody who represents the very best of our citizens who have dedicated uh, their lives to the service of protecting all of us. Um, it's no light statement, but I think you have made your parents proud. Um, you have made very, very many Asian Americans, particularly Thai, Amer Thai Americans proud um, because for many of us who come from smaller countries in Asia, that level of pride is national. The fact that one of us can do that, particularly on the world's greatest stage in America, um, is is a big, big deal. Um, so it, it's been fun. Um, and, you know, before we started recording, you, you shared with me why you wanted to come on the show. And it is uh, uh, it's the exact reason I'm doing this show. And it is for the kids. Um, you know, we often talk about uh, the story, the stories of our parents that we think we know or whatever they told us. It's like reading a history book. We know what they want us to know and what they don't ever tell us, we never know. Um, but right now with the technology, with the opportunity, and then particularly in April 2020 with all of us being home, we have the time um, to memorialize what we are going through now, to storytell just a little bit Um in a perfect world, we'd always we'd always have documentary crews following us around. 
we'd have the ability to write these amazing memoirs and have the money and the leisure and the time to express ourselves, but we do not. Um, and, and so I thank you for thinking about that. I thank you for coming on and, and sharing your story. Um, and, and so I, I do want to end the show in the same way that we end all of our shows, and it is an homage back to the name of the show. Uh, to me, Dear Asian Americans is not just a podcast for me or for you or for our kids. It is a letter to us and from us as the greater collective Asian American community. And to hear conversations that I didn't have when I was growing up, and I bet that you didn't have when you were growing up, but we certainly want to leave this for our kids to really use to be their best selves, whatever that may mean for them. So um, help us close out the show. I will start the letter. And if you could uh, finish the letter, dear Asian Americans. Do your best. Work your hardest. Don't ever let anybody tell you otherwise. Um, head down. Move forward. You can accomplish anything that you want to do. Thank you. Um, it's it's something that we didn't... Actually, I do want to ask you one question, completely out of turn. Sure. Uh, when did you decide to stop being Teddy? Ah, uh, after my first enlistment. So I did... So around 1999, right? After my, my first... I was getting ready to, to move from my first duty station. I was like, I'm, I'm going to my given name of Shanin. And uh, that's what people... So I have this this split of my life. People who know me as Teddy and people who know me as Shanin. And, uh, you know, that that's who I am. Um, that's the name my parents gave me. So It's powerful. Um, it's... The name thing is so deep and so complicated and so fascinating. Um, you know, Jerry wasn't my name when I was born. It was Chonghun. And when we moved here in 92, when I was eight, you know, it was probably at the, um, you know, nudging of my uncle and aunt who was already here. They're like, oh, you should give them American names so the white kids can say their name better. Um, and then so we have my brother and I both have American names. My kids have American names. Um, but I look at our South Asian friends, predominantly Indian American friends. They don't have American names. They just have names. Mm -hmm. And they expect the other people to know how to pronounce it. Uh, and as we often say, if you can pronounce Chaifkowski and Shevchevsky, whose names don't start with the letters of the phonetic sound, sure. you can surely take your time or even ask humbly how to pronounce our names because for you, it's a collection of uh, letters. But for us, it represents so much history and so much pain and, and so much legacy that thousands of years of Nantavangs and Wands have built to endure um, so that two guys can have the privilege of having this conversation on a Monday afternoon. So um, to all the parents who are listening, thank you. And I would encourage parents um, it doesn't have to be you coming on this show, but take time, memorialize what you're going through, um, leave videos for your kids, um, grandparents especially. Um, man, if grandparents are listening to this show, way to go. You yeah. figured out how to make podcasts work, so kudos. But leave something for your kids before it's too late, because I would kill for stories from my grandfather um, when he was my age. 
And so uh, thank you. You've inspired me quite a bit. Um, I, I look forward to seeing you in person when this thing passes. Um, continue to do what you do. Um, and on behalf of not just 2 million uh, people, members of the American Legion, but the entire United States, thank you for your service. Thank you for not just your service, but what you represent and what you mean to so many of us who sometimes don't feel like we belong in this country. So thank you. And thank you, Jerry. Thank you for giving us a platform where we could help share these stories. What you're doing is an amazing thing. It's for the kids. Um, and it's not to deflect any sort of anything, but um, I don't want my kids to be your age and my age having discussions like this about growing up Asian American with identity issues. Maybe they can talk about different issues. That's fine, but not this one. And I think we have the power to change that conversation today. So thank you. All right, brother. Thanks. All right. See you soon. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Janine. Um, It's always great to see fellow Asian Americans in the service and hear about their stories of doing what's right and and, um, brings a lot of smiles and joy to us. If you found this episode inspirational and motivational, um, I ask you to please share the episode with a friend or two, and you can do that by sharing the link or uh, tagging us in your Instagram story where you tag us at The Asian Americans. Also on Instagram, follow us and like us on Facebook at The Asian Americans, and you'll find a link there to apply to be on the show yourself if you want to come and share your own story. Thanks again so much for tuning in. Tomorrow is Asia Pacific American Heritage Month here in the state, so looking forward to sharing exciting things with you then. Let's stay happy. Let's stay safe. Let's stay healthy. I'll see you soon.